Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 114. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. From high atop the stately Lee's Comics mansion, we bring you the Lee's Comics Radio Hour with tonight's special guests, Spider-Man, Superman, Batman, Cerebus the Aardvark, and yours truly, Wally Fields. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store, based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale. For half off, choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar. Scroll down to Sellers and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Hey, Michael, it says here we've written another book about the monkeys. Wasn't the first one enough? Not at all, Mark. Our original book, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Songs One by One, was very successful, but only covered half the story. Which half? The group half. Our new book, Headquartered, A Timeline of the Monkey's Solo Years, covers the solo half. Who knew the monkeys record so many solo albums? Not only that, but this book covers all of their solo projects, including stage shows, horse racing, running record labels, directing and starring in TV shows and movies, voice acting, and jail. Jail? Did the monkeys go to jail? Ah, you have to read the book to find out. You've sold me. Have you sold them? Who, who, who's them? Those people out there listening to this. Well, listen to this! This book has discographies, photos, and other information about the prefab for Mickey, Davy, Peter, and Mike, the solo monkeys, plus another nifty cover by Scott Shaw. Wow, he did our last cover. And this one's equally good. Where can you get this masterpiece? 
announcer. Announcer? That's me. <clears throat> Get headquartered. A timeline of the monkey solo years, written by Michael A. Ventrella and Mark Arnold. Those two guys. It's available in hardback, paperback, or ebook from BearManorMedia.com or from Amazon. Get your copies today. Cool. I'm going to get one today. The Warren Kramer book is still being proofed, and I'm still working on my Mad book and the Kool-Aid Man article, as well as articles about Richie Rich comic strip and Charlton Comics. I'm also working on a book about Pac-Man. On today's show, we feature a singer who has had many hit songs, such as Wild One and Volare, and starred in the movie Bye Bye Birdie. Here he is, Bobby Rydell. This is Mark Arnold, and we're here with another Fun Ideas podcast. And I want to thank Charles Rosene for bringing me another special guest. Today we have in the studio, Bobby Rydell. Here he is. <laughs> or over here. <laughs> it's always bad. How you doing, Mark? Pretty good. How are you doing, Bobby? <laughs> I see you still have that good smile. I mean, it's like your smile is like, oh, well, you know. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, just wanted to get to know you a little bit about your career. I'm sure you've been asked a zillion times, but, you know, it's like, hey, I might find some little morsel of something you've never talked about before. Um, never know. Hey, um, I guess we'll start off the way I usually start off with my questioning is tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to be a singer and also a drummer, because I know you did that, too. <laughs> so go ahead. Well, I was born and raised uh, in South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I lived with my mom and my dad and my mom's grandparents. And uh, my father, at a very early age, meaning me, I was five years old, and he took me to see the Benny Goodman Band. And I'm five. I didn't know who Benny Goodman was, but my dad wanted to introduce me to big band music and tunes from the American Songbook. So I went with my father, and it was absolutely fantastic. I was mesmerized. You know, four trumpets, four trombones, five saxophones, full rhythm section, piano, bass, drums, and guitar. And it was really great. But there was one guy in the band, and I said to my father, I don't know who he is, Dad, but I want to be him. <laughs> and it was it was Gene Krupa who was playing with the Benny Goodman band. And so, that's how I started playing the drums, all because I saw Benny Goodman and I saw Gene Krupa. And uh, if I had any talent within me whatsoever, my dad was the first one to see it. So when I was like seven, eight years old, my father would take me around to nightclubs and ask the, the club owner, would it be okay if my son got up to sing a couple of songs and do some impersonations? So I would get up and do just that, and people would applaud. Now I'm seven years old. And I said to myself, oh, my God, all I have to do is do this, and they do that. What a wonderful feeling, you know? And it's, it's all because of my dad that I'm in the business today. If I had any talent within me whatsoever, my dad was the first one to see it. And so basically, that particular time in my life was like my vaudeville. And it kind of got me ready for things that were going to happen later on in my life and into my and in my career. So that's basically my story in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. So what did your dad do? What, did he do anything that was in the entertainment industry or did he just encourage you? No, no, no. My dad, my dad worked for a company. Uh, he was a punch press operator. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I remember when my dad was overseas, I was about three years old. 
he was in the army and my mom and dad, they always used to write back and forth to one another. And she would say to, uh, in, in the letter to my dad, the baby's always singing, the baby's always singing. <laughs> and he wrote back and to this day, I still have the letter. He wrote back to my mother and he said, who knows, Jenny, maybe one day we'll have a star in the family. <laughs> wow. That's yeah, he worked for a place called worked for a place called the Electronite Carbon Company. He was a punch press operator, and he lost his middle finger on his uh, right hand, and he got a bonus check for losing his finger. And when he got that check, he took me to a place called Eighth Street Music Sales, and bought me my really good first set of drums. They were William F. Ludwig WFL. And the drums were Black Oyster Pearl. They were a gorgeous, gorgeous <laughs> set. And I, I remember years later, I saw when I saw the Beatles and, and Ringo was playing the same set, playing William F. Ludwig, Black Oyster Pearl. And I went, I had them before you, man. <laughs> <laughs> so um, did, I, I know you did some early uh, times with drumming. Uh, let's see. It says here you were with a group called Rocco and his Saints that also had Frankie Avalon playing trumpet. How did that come about? Correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Mark. Um, well, Frankie and I go back uh, when I was 10 years old. Frankie was, I think, 12 at the time. He was two years older than me. Mm -hmm. And he was in this band called Rocco and the Saints. And the drummer... His stage name was Rich, uh, Chip Peters, but his real name was uh, uh, Brancata, Chippy Brancata. And he got sick. And Frank said, could you fill in? You know, can you come in and fill in, you know, for just one night? And it was like doing sets, 40 on and 20 off. So I got up. I played drums. I sang some songs, you know, so on and so forth. And there was a bass player in a band called Billy Duke and the Dukes. They were the headliners. And his name was Frankie Day. And after one of the sets, he came over to me. He said, uh, I'd like to manage you, kid. I said, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Talk to my father, you know, and that's how it all started. You know, he became my manager when I was like 16, 15, 16 years old. Wow. <laughs> now, um, yeah. later in your career, did, did you play drums like any on any of your records or were you just a vocalist by that point? Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I think, I think I overdubbed on wild one, mm -hmm. uh, something on the hi hats. Mm -hmm. I, 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 I believe, I don't know if they used it or not, but I played <clears throat> on, on, uh, on, on one of the tracks of wild one. And then, uh, in my act, I used to do a drum solo, you know, and I would work, uh, I had a drummer that by the, by the name of Carl Matola, who was a really fine player. And we used to do a drum solo together. And I was left-handed. He was right-handed. So it looked like, you know, two guys, you know, in a mirror. And we would play, you know, certain patterns, certain patterns. And then we'd bring the band back in. And But I, I don't do that anymore. I don't. Okay. Do you I, still, I still have my drums. I still have my drums set up, but I don't. I don't use them in the show anymore. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're kind of like me with the piano. I took piano lessons for years, but now here I'm doing interviews. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. let's see. Um, another thing that I read is that you were on a show and this show you'll have to explain. I mean, I can tell by the title what it is, but uh, a little more about 
you were on a regular on Paul Whiteman's Amateur Hour. I assume you're a singer on there more than a drummer. Yeah, no. Uh, the, the show was called the Paul Whiteman TV Teen Club, okay. which gave young talent, you know, a chance. You know, hopefully people would see, you know, watch the show. And But um, what I did on the show, which I won, uh, there was a record by Sammy Davis Jr. called Because of You. And on one side, he did singers doing actors. And the other side, he did actors doing singers. <laughs> so when I was on the show, I did the side of actors doing singers, you know, like Comfrey Bogart and James Cagney and Jimmy Stewart to the tune of Because of You. <laughs> and I went on the show. I went on the show and then I became a regular. <laughs> I was 10 years old at the time. And by the time I got to be 11 years old, the show was off the air and I was out of work at 11. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I had no job at 11 years old. And we've never heard it from you <laughs> since. <laughs> never, um, never, never again. He just flew, flew to coop. <laughs> now, these two projects, did they uh, have anything to do with you launching a solo singing career or were they just independent of each other? How did that work? They were independent of, you know, like I said, my dad took me around the club, so on and so forth. And then when I was at this place called Bay Shores, Summers Point, New Jersey, right outside of Atlantic City, I sang, I played drums. I, and that's when I met Frankie Day, who played bass with Billy Duke and the Dukes. And he became my manager hmm. back in, uh, my God, uh, let me see, I was 16 years old, 19 the 758 yeah. somewhere around there. I think I read uh, your the first record you cut was in 1957. I mean, do you re do you remember what your first one was? Because I don't think it started. <clears throat> what is it again? The, the, uh, did you remember what uh, the first record you cut was? Because I don't think it charted on the at least on the national charts. Oh no no no! I was with uh, we met two guys from the Washington D.C. area. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad and my manager paid for the date and uh, the recordings. And it was on a label called Vico, D-E-K-O. <laughs> and there was one side called Dream Age. And the other side was called Fatty, Fatty, Boombalati. <laughs> and they were terrible, wow. absolutely terrible. <laughs> and... Uh, and these two guys from Washington, they flew to Coop. They took they took the masters. They had our money, and we never saw them again. But then the records all of a sudden came out, you know, years later, and they were terrible records, terrible mm. records. Uh, and, and then, you know, Frankie Day and me, we, we uh, traveled to New York. I auditioned for, you know, the majors, RCA, Columbia Capital, and got turned downs. And then our last resort was Cameo, uh, a local label in Philadelphia. And the funny thing about it, the owner of the company was a man by the name of Bernie Lowe. Hmm. And when I did the Paul Whiteman TV team club, Bernie Lowe was the piano player for <laughs> Paul Whiteman. Hmm. So I don't know if he remembered me from 10 years old and I auditioned with another guy. We did a song called buddies mm -hmm. and, uh, Bernie, uh, he wanted to sign me. And so I signed with Cameo and I had, oh my, I think three songs before my first hit record. And uh, Bernie used to take all the dubs, the acetates to Dick Clark. 
to play them and see what Dick thought of them. And Dick turned down my first three records. <laughs> and the fourth record was a song called Kissin' Time. Okay. Bernie Lowe took the Dick, uh, took the, uh, the disc to Dick, the acetate, the dub, and Dick dropped the needle, you know, on the, on the, on the acetate. And he said to Bernie, that's a hit. Mm-hmm. That's how everything started with yep. me. Well, yeah. That's your first big hit. I mean, I think it was summer of 1959. Close. Right. <laughs> and uh, how oh, yeah. It, I, I forget. Yeah. Let's see. You were as cameo for like seven years or something like that, weren't you? Something like that till about 64. From about uh, 1959 to uh, 64. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's probably where you had yeah. most of your I, hits during your career. Oh, yeah. All of the hits were on cameo. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the biggest one I know is Wild One. That's the one that you mentioned also that you probably. That was the first the that one. was the first million seller. Yeah. yeah. First million seller was Wild One. Yeah. Now on these, uh, since you said it was a local label, was Cameo prior to you having big hits? Was it distributed nationally or were you the cause of them? distributing nationally <laughs> oh no no they, they had they had they had a uh, a young guy on the label who is a very dear friend and his name was uh his name is charlie gracie mm. who had a hit record on cameo called butterfly okay mm-hmm. so it was you know the, the label was established you know before i you know signed with uh, cameo yeah okay because i i mm. <laughs> You know, I, I know my mom bought a lot of your records and things like that. I still have them uh-huh. in my collection now. So Okay, good. You know? Well, thank you. <laughs> so, and I just remember the label, but I don't remember how well these things were distributed at the time because they just came secondhand, you know, and my mom would just Well, you know, things, uh, you know, Charlie Gracie was the first guy on the label to, you know, record a hit for them. And then uh, when I signed with the label, then Chubby Checker signed, D.D. Sharp signed, uh, the Times signed, uh-huh. and uh, the Dovells, uh, you know. So it became a major. It became, although we were a small little independent label, it became, you know, a major recording, right. re- major recording uh, uh, company. Now, you mentioned Dick Clark. Uh, did Dick Clark promote you uh, beyond just oh my God, mentioning your records? I mean, did he have you on bandstand all the time and things like that? When I when he first listened to Kissin' Time, and mm-hmm. when we finally you know uh, uh, produced the record, I I did it on Dick Clark, mm-hmm. you know, and of course Dick Clark was on from three thirty to five o'clock every day from the East Coast to the West Coast, right. And when he played a record, it automatically became a hit because every kid you know across the country would say, "Oh my God, if Dick is playing it, we got to go out and buy it." So right. Dick was very <laughs> instrumental, very instrumental in my recording career for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they always have those, like, music polls and everything. Is it a hit or a miss? I mean, uh, how did you usually rank there? Did they usually predict that, oh, you know, Swing in School or something or We Got Love will become a hit or something? Or was it- Honestly, Mark, I don't know. I'll tell you the truth, <laughs> I don't know. You know. All I know is, you know, uh, they would write the material and Dave Apple, who arranged uh, practically all of my uh, recordings, you know, uh, they would say, okay, this is that we're going to record this. And, and, then, and then after this, we're going to record that and so on and so forth. And I just went in and recorded them. Mm-hmm. Who the hell knew if they were going to be hit or, you know, hits <laughs> or not, but they all became hits. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have any say-so material? Like you say, oh, I can't sing that. Not, no, like, nothing okay. whatsoever, Mark. No, uh, whatever they threw at me, you know, <laughs> and uh, Dave... 
Dave has, had his guitar and he would play, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, you know, oh, wild, well, we're going to the chicks, oh, and he kicks away good school, you know. <laughs> so they put it in front of me and I went in and recorded it. Very cool. Okay. And then um, the one hit that I know, um, I was just kind of curious who inspired, if you had no choice, I don't know, but uh, you did Valare, which Dean Martin and Domenico Madungo also had hits already. Uh, was Correct, it your yeah. choice to do that? Or they said, oh, you're Italian well, too. You should do it too. <laughs> no, no, no. What, what happened is uh, we recorded an album at RCA Recording Studios in New York City. And Bernie Lowe really wasn't that enthused about the way the album came out. But I was coming off swing in school. Right. And we needed a song. So he went back in and listened to what we did in New York City. <clears throat> he heard Volare. Mm-hmm. And then we went back in the studio. We, we added the girls who were familiar with, you know, my sound. Oh, Bobby. Oh, yeah. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, from that, I mean, we, the, I had three songs that became chart records for me. Volare was my second million seller. Mm-hmm. And I also recorded Sway. And mm-hmm. that old black magic on that date in New York. So they all became hit records for me. Mm-hmm. Was there any inspiration also? I'm just asking about inspiration from like Bobby Darren, because he kind of veered from rock into classic remakes. As well, were, uh, and things like it, that. Bobby Darren, Bobby Darren was uh, a, a dear friend. Mm. And I have a charcoal picture of him. I don't know who sketched it, but it's signed by Bobby to me and he wrote dear Bobby I wish for you what I wish for myself your friend Bobby Darren and I I don't know how many people out there who are you know watching this had the chance to see Bobby Darren live you know his nightclub act and he was scary scary (laughs) talented you know he was just so so good and his son <clears throat> excuse me, his son Dodd came to see me in Vegas with his wife and their children. Mm-hmm. And he, he presented me with this, uh, it was a long piece of, uh, you know, and it was all wrapped up. And after the show, I, 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 I was in the dressing room <clears throat> and Dodd and his wife, Dodd Darren and his wife and his children came back. I, un- I unraveled it. And in the middle, it was a picture of Dodd when he was about three years old and Bobby holding him. Mm. On the left side is the original drum chart, the studio drum chart of Mac the Knife. Mm. And on the right side is the studio original drum chart of Up a Lazy River. Mm. And I, I, was, I went, oh, my God. I said, Dodd, I said, I can't. He said, yes, you can. He said, you're a guy who's keeping my father's memory alive because I would do a tribute in my show. I would do Splish Splash, Dream Lover, Beyond the Sea, and Mac the Knife. You know, Bobby Bobby was just died way, way, way too soon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know he had heart issues and things like that. And uh, The first yeah, time I yeah. saw him, my mom knew about him, of course, too, but first time I saw him was he did a variety show about a year before he passed and uh, you know I thought he was good on that even as a little kid so yeah. I don't know if you ever had seen that the Bobby Darren show is like 71 oh absolutely yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah, I... 
let's see what other things uh, i one my favorite thing that you've done <laughs> because i'm a big fan is the movie bye bye birdie <laughs> so i mean uh-huh, yeah what was that <laughs> <laughs> was that uh, a, an easy transition for you to become a singer to doing acting or did it take some time i know it wasn't your first i film, never but... i never acted i never acted before i never acted before that in my life you know i and i um, and margaret and myself screen tested for george sydney who was the director of bye bye birdie was a marvelous director did a lot of great films and um uh, you know, when you do a screen test, they want to see how you come across on camera, what kind of personality, you know, comes across, read a few lines from the script. And uh, one boy, one, spe- one girl, one special girl. And Mr. Sidney said, uh, okay, thank you ever so much. We'll be in touch. I go home. Two weeks later, my manager, Frankie Day, says they want you for the part of Hugo Peabody. Hmm. Well, the part of Hugo Peabody in the Broadway show was nothing. He had no lines. He did no singing. He did no dancing. So I wondered, what the hell kind of a part can this be, you know? So well, when we started filming the movie, every day that I went to Columbia Studios, my script got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the reason why is that George Sidney saw some kind of magic between Anne Margaret and myself. Yeah. So when I would go to studios and, you know, more dialogue, you know, more singing. And of course, the big dance number was the lots of living number. So, you know, I'm not a movie star, but if I did one picture, one picture in my whole entire career, which was Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. It's a classic. <laughs> yes. That's I'm one very, of my favorites. I'm, I'm so very, very proud. Asking. I'm very proud. Um, oh, yeah. Do you, sure. with, yeah. do you stay in touch with Ann Margaret or with Dick Van Dyke or anybody else from the cast? <clears throat> Ann and I, Ann and I speak every. Uh, the last time I spoke to her, and this is a while ago, uh, was when Rod, Roger Smith died, her husband. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And I called her up to give her my condolences, and she said, "Oh, thank you ever so much, Bobby. But you remember how sick he was." And I said, "I certainly do, Ann. I just wanted to call, you know, to give you my condolences and, you know, see how you're doing. You know, so she's a sweetheart." Mm-hmm. When we, when I call her, she always calls me Mr. Ritarelli, you know, which is my real name, mm-hmm. Ritarelli. And I would, and I, and sometimes she would call me Hugo and I call her Kim, you know, but <laughs> right. she's been a friend since 1963, Mark. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, since you mentioned your real name, uh, who came up with Rydell and what does it, does it mean anything or is it just a, a snappy sounding short and shorter name? What do you mean? Uh, uh, Rydell yeah. or Ritarelli? Well, that's your real name. <laughs> but, Which one? Rydell. Yeah, Ritarelli. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so who came up with Rydell? Well, Ritarelli. Or label or? My father. My father. Uh, as far as media is concerned, we said that Paul Whiteman came up with uh uh, Bobby Rydell because he couldn't pronounce Ritarelli, but that was just, you know, for media. My father actually came up with the name, you know, because all of the nuns in school, they used to call me Master Ritarelli, Master Rydelli, you know, they couldn't, they, for some reason, they couldn't even pronounce Ritarelli. So my father, Ritarelli, Rydelli, Bobby Rydell. And that's how that all came about. 
Okay, very cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just always curious when people come up with different stage names and things like that. You know, sometimes it is a complex story. Sometimes yeah. it's a simple one. But, yeah. you know, it seemed to work. You know, I, it's a very snappy, you know, Bobby Rydell, you know, <laughs> kind of like that. So Yeah, well, well absolutely, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. And uh, I've been very, very lucky with it. <laughs> Extremely lucky for 61 years now. My God. Very cool. Um, now, I, I assume you're not singing and touring right now because of this pandemic and everything, but have you been touring up until maybe a couple of years ago? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, uh, prior to the, uh, uh, the pandemic happened, uh, uh, my, last, my last gig was in Florida, and that was March, uh, I think it was the 3rd of... Uh, 2019 and then all of this happened right and then you know for since last since march of 2019 or 2020 i'm trying to remember 2020 now. okay 2020 uh, there was nothing yeah the, the, right. there, there was there was nothing happening you know nothing at all everybody sat home avalon sat home fabian sat home i sat home everybody <laughs> sat home you know <laughs> But I just did an engagement this past this past March. I was there March eighteenth and nineteenth uh, at a, a place in um, it was outside of Orlando, Florida, and we did two dates, eighteenth and nineteenth, at, at a performing arts center. And so that was nice. That was you know really good, you know, to get back up on stage again. And we have a lot of things that are coming up uh, for two thousand twenty one and into two thousand twenty two as well. Yeah, I saw on your website. I think you're doing some shows in July. Is that correct? I, I believe we'll start doing yeah in July yeah. yeah and I think that's in uh, right outside of Buffalo mm -hmm. uh, theater called the Riviera Theater in Pondawando where <laughs> the hell it is I I know I fly into Buffalo but and and then the theater is uh, the the Riviera Theater mm -hmm. in Pondawando. <laughs> so when you had this basic year and a half off, I mean, what have you been doing? Like we interviewed, Charles and I interviewed Ron Dante of the Archies a, a few weeks ago, and he says he's still practicing, he's still singing, he actually did some recording, so have you done similar? Or? Uh, yeah, well, no, I, really I just hung around. Me and my wife, we hung around, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I would, you know, to, to vocalize, I will always vocalize in the shower, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, because it sounds, you know, it sounds good in the shower. And, you know, when you have it, that, we have that like rain forest thing, you know, that comes down over your head, you know, and you hear the shh, and it sounds like <laughs> applause. So I would get up and I would take my bow. I would, I would, I would bow because it, I would get a standing <laughs> ovation. <laughs> standing ovation in my shower. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I go down, I play my drums, you know, I put earphones on, I start right. playing, you know, playing my drums to different big bands and stuff like that. Very cool. Um, now, when you sing for yourself in the shower, I mean, uh, do you sing a variety of different songs? I mean... No, no, I just do scales. Okay. Oh, and okay. I still do... I, I, I had a... Uh, his name was Marty Lawrence. Mm -hmm. In uh, New York City, I used to call him the professor, and we would do uh, he would do the things like on Felice, on Felice. I do that, uh, and you know just just do the different octaves, you know, and uh, th that's how I would warm up, you know, in the shower. Yeah, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't not when I'm in the car when I'm in my car, 
I'm, I'm usually, you know, I'm either, I'm, I'm either listening to fifties on five or seriously uh, Sinatra mm. and, you know, and, and basically what I do, I mean, I've been a fan of, of Sinatra since I was 10 years old mm. and I know the arrangements on practically every album he ever did. And I, I, I would just do what the band was doing mm. you know, and let right. Frank sing. And I would do, I would do, you know, what the instrumentation was and how right. the chart sounded. And I would do that. In the, and I do that in the car. <laughs> so you're doing more Nelson Riddle or something. <laughs> right. Wh- whoever it is, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, what, what was the one? Oh, the one I love belongs to somebody else. So that uh, he was on reprise. And I, you know, I just knew what the band, what the band was doing. And the band start out, yeah, I just, I just played a chart, you know, I would let Frank sing. I'll do the, I'll do the, I'll do the, the instrumental stuff. Hey, you could do a belated duet with him and release that. Boy, I wish I, oh my God. Yeah. That would have Nice. Meet the man? That would have been did you, nice. Did you ever meet? Yes, Frank? I did. I oh. met him when I was 19 years old mm-hmm. at the Copacabana in New York City, and uh, he was sitting at a table with Sammy Kahn, Jimmy Van Heusen, two marvelous lyricists, songwriters, Richard Conti, great mm-hmm. actor, and Joe DiMaggio. Oh wow! And Frank, <laughs> and Frank, wow. and Jules Padel, who was the owner of the uh, Copa, the boss. Uh, I, well, I used to call him Uncle Julie, and uh, when he when he was down in the club and he was watching Joey Lewis comedian who Frank made a, a motion picture, the Joker is wild about Joey Lewis's life. Mm-hmm. And after the show, he left. So I went up to the lounge and Sinatra comes walking out through the kitchen doors into the lounge. And I said, uncle Julie, all I want to do is shake his hand. And Julie said, you want to be Frank? Yeah. Said, yeah. <laughs> so now I walk over to the table. He's sitting with all of these Sammy Conjure, even using Richard Conte, Joe DiMaggio, and Jules says, Frank, I want you to meet the kid. Sinatra stood up with those blue eyes. He put out his hand and he said to me, how you doing, Robert? Called me Robert. Wow. <laughs> I said, fine, Mr. Sinatra. How are you? He says, I'm just wonderful. Would you care to join us? Oh, wow. <laughs> 19 years. I'm 19 years old. I sat there. I didn't say two words. I was in <laughs> awe. Yep. Just listening to what they were talking about. And then, I don't know, a couple of minutes later, Sinatra turned to me and he said, uh, what do you drink, Robert? <laughs> I said, Coke. <laughs> I figured if I said scotch and water, I'd get smacked in the face, you know. <laughs> but he, he, he took a picture with me and he, under one of his arms, he has my album, mm. Rydell at the Copa. Mm. And it's signed. It signs to Bobby, best always, your friend, Frank Sinatra. What else? Hello, very Dolly. Cool. <laughs> yeah, no, very cool. Sit, when you were sitting there with them, uh, since you said you couldn't say two words because you were in awe, what were they talking about? Anything yeah. important? Or I don't even remember. I <laughs> honestly, Mark, I don't even remember. I was just. I don't know what they were. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sometimes it's that way. You're just like, wow. I'm sitting here with yeah. fill in the blank. You know, and it's like, uh, yeah, I'm sitting. I'm yeah. sitting with the man. Yeah. I'm sitting with the man. Now I called knew, my mother. I called were, my. I, I called. Did he know who you oh, were? Oh, well, yes, yeah. absolutely, cool. absolutely. Yeah. That'd be embarrassing. It's like, hi, and, I had a few. And I hits. called my mother. <laughs> I I called my mother. We went back to the hotel where we were staying in New York. I called my mother, 
And I said, Mom, I just met God. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you've ever seen this little button. You sell this little button. I have it somewhere. Uh, pin back button. It says, it's Sinatra's world. We just all live in it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> now, the other one you did the cover of, uh, uh, Valari. Uh, did you meet Dean Martin over the years? Um, in your, you I, uh, matter of fact, I was uh, I was at the MGM Grand Hotel. I was in the lounge, and Dean was in the main room. Mm -hmm. And I just went back to say hello. And I, I think I spent about five minutes with him, and he was absolutely wonderful. And then I excused myself, you know. And uh, 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 who else? Oh, uh, Madunio. Uh, I, I saw him in New York City uh, when he had Volare at a club in Brooklyn. I can't remember the name of the club. And then after I recorded Volati, I, uh, we did a tour of Europe mm -hmm. and we were in Italy and I have pictures at home. I'm sitting with Domenico Madugno in his wow. villa in uh, Rome. Yeah. The really great pictures. Yeah. Great pictures. Wow. So when you meet people, you, you get the photographs, you get the autographs, you get everything. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Now going down the line, since we're talking Rat Pack, uh, did you meet uh, Sammy, Sammy Davis? During your uh, years? Yes, I did. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, well, uh, Joey, uh, Joey Bishop, uh, uh, you know, we're both from South Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And I did his TV show, The Joey Bishop Show. Mm -hmm. And uh, Sammy Davis Jr., who I knew, <clears throat> and we, my mom, my dad, and my first wife, Camille, we went to see him at the Latin Casino in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. After the show, we went backstage. And Sammy says to me, Bobby, when are you going to invite me over to your house for some Italian food? <laughs> I said, my God, Sammy. I said, any night you want to come. He said, I'll be there tomorrow night. And he came to our house, our house in South Philadelphia. Wow. <laughs> and uh, with his conductor, with his conductor, George Rhodes. And my grandmother cooked him just a, my grandmother was a great cook. Mm -hmm. And she cooked him tutto Italian. Everything was Italian, you mm -hmm. know, meatballs, <laughs> ravioli, spaghetti, lasagna, this, that. <laughs> but my grandmother, coming from the old country, didn't know what to serve for dessert. <laughs> so she served watermelon. Wow. <laughs> Sammy, he, he laughed so goddamn hard. <laughs> you, know, you know how Sammy laughs and he hits his leg and he starts, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, he thought that was absolutely precious because my mother figured that, you know, African-Americans, they like watermelon. So that's what's <laughs> the certain, certain way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. He, he, he adored it. He absolutely adored it. Mm -hmm. Is there any other... I know we're talking celebrities and not talking about you, but you know, it's, it's kind of fun to hear reminisce. Any other big names that you always wanted to meet and you met over the years? Well, I worked with a lot of big names, you know, right. Red Skelton, uh, Milton Berle, Jack Benny. Mm -hmm. My first appearance in, in Las Vegas at the Sahara hotel was with uh, Mr. George Burns wow. for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I would do something like 20 minutes and then he'd come back on stage and we would do a soft shoe together and the derby hat and the cane. And he would sing the way Mr. Burns would sing to some of these days. And we'd sing like some of these days, 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 you're going to miss me. <laughs> and then I would sing it like, I would sing it like Bobby Darren. Some of these days, you're going to miss me, baby. And we would do a soft shoe. And when I was done, 
I go upstairs to the dressing room, get out of my tuxedo, come downstairs and watch him in the wings. I watched him every night for two weeks in the wings. And you could do nothing but learn how he, how he, uh, how he, uh, you know, his timing. Yeah. How he read a line and his closer was one of the greatest closers that I've ever seen in my life. He had an audio tape of Gracie Allen, who had, of course, had passed away. Hmm. And they would roll the tape. Now, George, you know, is on stage like he doesn't, he doesn't hear her, right? And he says, you know, I remember Gracie and I, we worked the Roxy Theater uh, back in 1937. At the, and Gracie says, no, George, it wasn't the Roxy. It was the Biloxi Theater. And then George corrects himself. He says, matter of fact, it wasn't the Roxy. It was the Biloxi. <laughs> now, this goes on for about a minute or so. And then Gracie says, George, I think you've been on a little too long. Why don't you say goodnight to the audience? And he says, goodnight, ladies and gentlemen. And he walks off. And I went, wow. <laughs> I mean, no fan, no, you know, no fanfare, nothing bad at that, bad at that, at that, bad at that. He said, Good night, ladies and gentlemen. And he and I went. What a what a way to get off stage. Yeah. <laughs> just just a sweet little good night, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. And curtain curtain falls. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, just before I, I have a couple more questions and then we can go. But uh, I noticed you're wearing a Philadelphia Eagles cap. Oh, yeah. So oh, I guess yeah. you're a big Eagles fan. So I've been, um, I, I've been a season ticket holder since 1963. Wow. <laughs> do you, I mean, up until now, do you attend games regularly and things like that? No, nah, no, nah, because I, I, you know I have a bad back, and uh, and uh, I, I really, you know, I I, I can't you know, walking sometimes. You know, it, it hurts to to walk, you know, to the stadium. Not well, I mean, you drive to the stadium, but then getting into the physically getting into the stadium mm-hmm. <clears throat> was kind of hard. So now, you know, <clears throat> I watch them at home now. <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you also a fan, like a? The Phillies and everything in baseball and everybody else. Uh, yeah, I like I, 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 every Philadelphia team. The Phillies, the Sixers, the Flyers, and, of course, the Eagles. Yeah. Cool. And I'm also a big Villano- also a big Villanova fan because my son went to Villanova. Very cool. All right. And um, you have you spent most of your life in Philadelphia, or did you live in, like, Hollywood for the times you were recording? The only that? time I, I, I spent any uh, serious amount of time in, in, uh, in uh, L.A., uh, was when I made Bye Bye Birdie. And I think I was out there for a period of about maybe four or five months filming Birdie. But I, I, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a fan of the West Coast. And I was always a South Philadelphia guy. And that's where my roots are, you know. So I never made the move out to the West Coast. And Avalon, Frankie used to say, Bobby, I said, if you would have moved out here, you would have had your own TV show. You would have done more Probably. movies and I said, you know what, Cheech? I call him Cheech, like, which is Frank and Italian, yeah, Cheech. Hmm. I said, you know what, Cheech? I said, I, I, I said, I can't make it out there, man. I said, I, I think you people are nuts, you know, living <laughs> with earthquakes and mudslides and fires. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, yeah, what about back home, Bobby? You know, when it gets cold in the wintertime. I said, Frank, I can always turn up the thermostat. You know, <laughs> we don't have to deal with, you know, we don't have to deal with the, all of that other Horse shit, excuse me. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but, uh, he may he may have had a point, you know, and yeah. you know. But I look back on it and I say, hey, you know, 
I didn't make the choice, and uh, I'm I'm doing fine. You know. Hey, if you have no regrets, then that's more power to you. You're happy man. Yeah. Happy man. <laughs> yeah. Extremely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I grew up in Northern California, and then I did live in Southern California okay. briefly as a kid. I know what you're talking about as far as Southern California goes. It's like its own animal, as it were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I thought it was so phony. I remember, like, the first time I went out there, the publicist, you know, they they put on a party, you know, for me. And a lot of uh, the young Hollywood star, uh, young kids and girls. And two of the guys, I forget who they were, you know, we were all, you know, teenagers at the time. And they, they staged a fight just for publicity, just so the cat, <laughs> you know, all of that. I said, oh, man, this is total bullshit, you know. And I, so, yeah, I hated it. Where do, you, where, do you, where do you live now? So now I live in Oregon because it's a little bit cheaper. And it was getting too hot. I mean, I'm sure you heard, on, seen on the news, you know, wildfires and things like that. We've had fires My up God. here in Oregon, too, but not like down there. So, um, well, I, you know, you know what? what? What was it? A couple of years ago, Frankie Avalon has a house up in Arrowhead. Hmm. And... Arrowhead got caught in one of those fires. Frankie's house wasn't touched. Ooh, he's lucky. And my yeah. God, Frank. I said, I said, what a lucky guy. Yeah. He said, everything around us, Bob, went down. Wow. Houses were burned to the ground. Didn't hit his home. That's very cool. But he's still there. You know, he's still in L.A. He has a house in Arrowhead. He has a house in Palm Springs. <laughs> and then in, in, in California, in L.A. <laughs> do you see? Do you see or talk to him much nowadays? I mean, I yeah. As a matter of fact, I talked to him just the other day. Uh-huh. How's the he doing? other day? How's he doing? He's doing fine. Oh, that's very good. Yeah, he's doing fine. He says, "Hey," he says, "Bob." He says, "You know, I go out, I play golf every day. You know, <laughs> uh, Kay and I, we go out for dinners. You know, and, uh, he's doing the same thing. You know, that I do. Yeah." <laughs> <clears throat> but we're both looking forward, you know, we're both looking forward to get back, you know, doing yeah. our show, the Golden Boys show. We're looking forward to that. So um, <laughs> on your shows coming up or at just a general Bobby Rydell show, what can you expect? What, what do you what's a typical show that you put on? Well, basically, I, you know, I do a lot of my hit records, you know, I, I do I do some Sinatra. I do a couple of things uh, like uh, 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 World on a String. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes uh, I've got you under my skin. I do some comedy. I do, mm-hmm. you know, some impersonations. And and I, I just have fun. You yeah. know, I have fun. Yeah, that's the main thing I was kind of curious about, you know. And Absolutely. hopefully, you know, oh, when yeah. everything kind of opens up again, you know, I can come out and see you sometime and uh, see a show. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, yeah, that'd be wonderful, Mark. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, um, nearing the end of the show here, I just wanted to say thank you and thanks, Charles Rosene, for bringing me to you and uh, you to me. <laughs> and uh, how can people get in touch with you? And if you want to plug a website or plug a book or anything, yeah, the floor, well, the floor uh, is the yours. website. <laughs> <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> we have a couple of things. You can go to Bob. <clears throat> excuse me, BobbyRidell dot com. Mm-hmm. That's the website. And you'll see the tour dates there and merchandise, you know, hats. And I have a book out called Bobby Rydell, Teen Idol on the Rocks, A Tale of Second Chances, which I'm very proud of. It's a really a great book and it's a very easy read. 
So they can just, you know, go there. Okay. com. Okay. And then, like I said, I think I saw on the website that touring starts in July. Are you going to be eventually traveling the country and everything like that? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got quite a few dates coming up. Uh, we're all, we're, we're and, and matter of fact, we have dates now into 2022. Very um, cool. Okay. Well, so, hopefully I'll yeah. get to see you one of these dates and, uh, I appreciate you being with me today, and I want to thank you for being on the Fun Ideas Podcast. It was just a pleasure. Thank you ever so much, Mark. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Bobby Rydell, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 115 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Danny Salazi of the characters and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2021 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Raise your glass.